Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 5. All right, Genesis chapter 5, as we move into a unique individual this morning. I mean, I guess everybody's unique, right? Um, so all, the, all these characters we look at are a little bit different, but uh, Enoch stands out be, because uh, Enoch has experienced something that only one other person in recorded history uh, can, can say they experienced, and that is that the Bible tells us that Enoch never died. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit, uh, but he just, he, the Lord just took him. And uh, so this is going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting time as we look at really just, just uh, about four verses um, that, that describe Enoch's life in, in Genesis chapter 5. Um, now so far in, in, this, in Genesis, let me get us caught up here. So we, uh, we, we looked at the first week that, that God is the author of creation. Focus our attention on God. That's good. If you're going to start with the Bible, right, if you're going to preach the Bible, God's a good place to start. So um, we said that, that as the creator, God gets to set the rules. In the beginning, God created everything good. Then from there, we moved on to Adam and Eve, and we learned, that, uh, we learned a bit about God's plan for our relationship with him. We learned about God's plan for our relationship with one another. We saw how Adam and Eve had no uh, conflict between themselves. There was nothing that that broke their relationship. Eve never said something, or, or, and, and, and Adam responded by, well, what do you mean by that? Or, and Adam, Adam never said anything, and, and Eve gets mad, and Adam has no idea what he's done, and, and, and says, what, what did I do? Nothing. Never happened, right? There was no, well, it's not what you said, but it's how you said it, right? There was none of that. They lived in perfect harmony with one another, and, and in that we see something about God's plan for marriage as well. And then we moved into Genesis 3 in the fall where everything came unglued. All of that perfection suddenly dissipated and was no longer there. God's perfect creation was suddenly no longer perfect. Where, where was that? Genesis 3. Everything coming unglued. Like microphones, not working. Right? There was none of that in Genesis 1 and 2. That, that came along in the fall. And then, so, so Genesis 3, everything comes unglued. Then we move into um, last week where we looked at Cain and Abel and how, how things devolved from the fall into very quickly the first murder. And then, before the end of chapter 4, we have another murder with uh, Lamech. This morning in, in chapter 5, we, we shift from, from looking at Cain and Abel to uh, the, the son that Adam and Eve had after Cain and Abel, the son named Seth and his line. And we're going to look at a, a really interesting guy, somebody that we don't honestly know much about, uh, but but someone whom God's word gives a very interesting description for us and an interesting insight into Enoch's life that I think will have a lot to say to us this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. So stand with me as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Genesis 
The word of the Lord says this. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered, uh, fathered other sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you will speak to us through it. That out of these simple verses about this man Enoch, we would see something about a life that's lived pleasing to you. Speak to us through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, I've pulled out, uh, the last couple of weeks I've not had um, outlines on the, on the screen. I actually do this morning and, and some supporting verses because uh, Genesis 5 is not the only place that we see Enoch. Uh, we see him show up in a, he's mentioned in a couple of passages in the New Testament that shed some light on, on what we're going to talk about this morning. But, but I do have some observations that I've, that I've put on the screen that I think will maybe be helpful for us this morning. As we look at Enoch's life and at his family, one of the things that we see is that Enoch came from a family of faith. Came from a family of faith. Now, Genesis 5 records the history of Adam and Eve's family line through their son, Seth. This child that God provided for Adam and Eve after Cain murdered Abel. And after Cain uh, was then vanished, or was um, exiled, more or less, away from his family and became a wanderer. Now, Now, here's the thing. But before we come to verse 21, we're given several names. And of these people, we really don't know anything about most of them. But here's what we do know. We know that God used these people to produce the human line of Jesus Christ. And through them, we'll see people like Noah, whom we'll talk about next week, and Moses, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Solomon. And then eventually Joseph and Jesus. Now what do we learn from this? Well, we we don't know much about these people. But we see that God used them. And what we're told about Enoch is that uh, simply that, that he walked with God. And so we know that someone then taught him to walk with God, right? He learned the story of God's creation from someone. He learned the story about uh, the goodness of God. He learned to trust in God. And it's even more interesting when when you look at Seth's family line versus Cain's family line. As we looked at last week um, in chapter 4, Lamech was the seventh person... In Cain's line. And when we look at the, the life of Lamech, we, we saw that he uh, murdered a man, and it sounds like in revenge. And then we also see he was the first person who, who practiced polygamy. He was the first man in, in, uh, we have recorded in the Bible that had multiple wives. Now when we look at the line of Seth, we, we see that Seth's line, when we get to the seventh person in Seth's line, it's... Enoch, and we're told that Enoch walked with God. Now, certainly, we're not given any kind of um, 
indication that, that Enoch or anyone else in that line was perfect. In fact, as we go on through this family line throughout the rest of Genesis, uh, there are going to be many instances of people in this family with really disturbing sins. But the, the thing that marks them is a pattern of repentance and trusting in God. Now, now look, I don't, I don't really believe in like generational curses. Um, I don't believe that because you come from a certain family, you're destined to always live one way. But, but here's what we do see. And that is that we leave behind a legacy of something. If you're, if you're a parent and you have children, you are, you are teaching your children something. You're teaching your children to trust in something. In Seth's case, his family had a legacy of faith. And that should cause all of us to take a look inside and take a look at our family and simply ask, what are we leaving behind? What are we teaching? What are we passing on to the next generation? In Enoch's case, we see that his family had a legacy of faith that was passed on, at least as far as we are this morning, on down to Enoch. And that leads us to the next description, which we're given right here in the, in the text, and that is simply that Enoch walked with God. Now think about that. That's a three-word description. What can you tell me about Enoch? He walked with God. I, I like this quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He, he said this. He said, it was not that he merely thought of God, that he speculated about God, that he argued about God, that he read about God, that he talked about God. He walked with God, which is the practical and experimental part of true godliness. In his daily life, he realized that God was with him, and he regarded him as a living God in whom he confided and by whom he was loved. Now, now I found that really interesting because I think a lot of times if we think of someone who, who we might describe as, as walking with God, we, we might gravitate to some of those first descriptions there. It's not that he merely thought of God that he speculated about God, that he argued about God, he read about him, right? None of these things are bad. But just because I can spend a lot of time reading about God does not mean I'm walking with God. And I think this is a, this is a danger that we get into, especially in, um, if, 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 we're, if we have a bent towards academics or, or in, intellect at all, we can think that that. Knowing stuff about God means that we know God, and those two things are not necessarily the same. Now, I would argue you can't really know God unless you know something about him and know something of him. But listen, I, I, so I read, um, I, I read a lot. One of my favorite people in the world is Johnny Cash. Hey, I'll argue that I, I will. I will. I can. I can argue for a long time that Johnny Cash is one of the most important singers, songwriters, writers, and maybe even theologians of the last hundred years. It's, it's a topic for another day. I, I, I will. I will stand on that argument. Okay. I know a lot about Johnny Cash, but I never knew the guy. I didn't have a relationship with him. I like his music. I listen to his music a lot. Read read both of the uh, autobiographies that he wrote. I've read biographies that other people have wrote about him. I know a lot about him, but I never knew Johnny Cash. 
And I wonder if there are some people who have a relationship with God like I have with Johnny Cash. Well, we know a lot about him, but we don't know him. I wonder if that's you today. Now, as we look at Enoch, we, we, we see there, there was apparently a key moment in his life that changed things. And, and I missed this the first probably 100 times that I read this passage. And it wasn't until I was preparing this message that, that, I, that I read some things in, in some of the commentaries I was reading that really made me stop and ponder this. Because we're, we, we've known the story of Enoch. I'm sure if you've been in church for very long, you've probably heard the story of Enoch, who walked with God, and then he was no more. He, and and we, we believe that that means he didn't experience death. But there seems to be something that changed Enoch's life. And we see this in verse 22. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Now that's worded in a really interesting way, isn't it? After he became a father, Enoch walked with God. See, there... I think the biblical writers are trying to tell us something. That, that in this case, in, in the life of Enoch... Becoming a father deeply affected him. And we don't know anything about his life prior to becoming a father. But you, you probably know some people, and I know some people, and maybe you've experienced this as well, that, that becoming a parent, maybe for the first time, really served as a wake-up call. And perhaps this was the case with, with Enoch. I don't think this is described this way by accident, that, that after he fathered Methuselah, he walked with God. Maybe Enoch learned this lesson that was later taught in the Psalms, and that's simply Psalm 127.3 that tells us, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Could it be that when he became a father, Enoch realized the, the blessing of God on his life and, and that that caused him to begin following the Lord more closely, if not for the first time. Now, some of this is speculation. We don't really know. I'm just I'm going out of what the, what the text says here. The point is there was a time in Enoch's life where he came to know the goodness of God. And the Bible says from that point forward, he walked with God. Now, this also becomes interesting because uh, in the book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the whole Bible, we're, we're, we're given some more information about Enoch, about this guy that gets four verses in the Old Testament, and suddenly we see him pop up in, in a letter written by one of Jesus' brothers. And in that, we see that Enoch proclaimed God's word among a wicked generation. So we're in Genesis 5 right now. We're told Enoch walked with God. Next week, we're going to dive into Genesis 6 and Noah and, and moving into the flood. And if you know anything about that period of time, there were not many people who were walking with God. And this is what Jude says about Enoch. And, and Jude, Jude only has one, one chapter. So in, in Jude verses 12 through 15. Jude's describing some culture, the culture that he experiences in, in the first century. He says, these people are dangerous reefs 
at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Jude's an incredible book. We're going to uh, walk through that sometime. And not just because I can name the series Hey Jude. <laughs> Sorry. See, when I don't follow my notes, weird things happen. So, uh, okay, and then he goes on. It was about these. So, so this is Jude writing in the first century A.D. About the people in his, that, that he's experiencing in his culture. And yet he says that if you go back a couple of thousand years, these are the same people, these are the same types of people that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. In other words, he's saying, listen, these are not new problems. Human wickedness is not something that just popped up in the last 2,000 years. So these are the same people that that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. Ungodly was used three times there. I think he's trying to emphasize something. And concerning all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have said against him. So this was Jude's message that, that, or excuse me, this was Enoch's message that Jude's telling us about in the first century A.D. He says that, that Enoch called people's attention to their ungodly acts. So we learned something about the culture that Enoch lived in, and yet we're told that Enoch walked with God, that he walked among a perverse and a wicked generation. Jude 4 describes it like this, that they have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. This is the generation that Jude experienced. And he said, this is the same type of people that Enoch experienced. Now, as I said, this shouldn't surprise us, especially when we realize that Enoch is Noah's great-grandfather. We'll look at Noah next week, but but in in chapter 6, we learned that the wickedness of humanity had grown so great that God decided to simply start over with Noah and his family. And it's in the middle of this wickedness that Enoch stood proclaiming the holiness of God, calling people to repentance. Enoch was a preacher. And he boldly proclaimed that what people were doing was wicked. Now, I've said this in recent weeks, but but I think often we are so quick to say, look at how wicked our culture is. Look at how bad they are out there. And, And that's true. Right? I mean, if, if, if you're watching the world around us, like, at times it's easy to look at the culture, to look, read the news feeds that come in on Twitter or, um, you know, and t- take your favorite news app and, and just read the story and think, man, people have gone crazy. Like, they've lost their ever-loving minds. Well, yes, but it's nothing new. And I think one of the great lies that Satan would have us believe is that we're living in a day and age unlike any other. 
where, where things are maybe so bad that, that there's no hope for a lost and dying world around us. See, Satan thrives when we're discouraged. When, when we think all is hopeless, that, that's, that's when Satan can come in and say, yeah, you're right. You know, it's not really even worth telling your, your coworker about Jesus because they don't care. They, they don't want anything to do with him. Now, perhaps we have some new toys and some technology that, that uh, allow us to express this wickedness in, in different ways. But the problem, the problem in our day and age isn't Twitter. It's not the internet. It's not fake news, whatever that means. The, the, the problem in our day and age is the human heart is wicked. And that's the same problem that experienced, that, that, that was around 2,000 years ago when Jude wrote those words. And it was the same problem that was around about 4,000 years ago when, when we're told about Enoch walking with God in the middle of a wicked and perverse generation. See, the, the, the human heart is still what the human heart's always been, bent away from the things of God. But the good news, and the thing that maybe we often miss in all this, is that the grace of God is still what the grace of God has always been, and that is good news for sinners. Good news for people with wicked hearts. So the question for, for this part then is, how will we live in the midst of a dark world? Will we give in and, and make our lives look as, as much like the world as possible so that we don't look like complete freaks? Like a lot of people did in Enoch's day and in Noah's day? Or will we walk with God like Enoch did? Here's the last thing we see in Enoch's life, and that is that Enoch was saved from death because of his faith. We see this in verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there because God took him. Now, in all of human history, we, have, we only have the record of two people who never experienced death, and both of those occur in the Bible, Enoch and Elijah, who, by the way, isn't it cool that if, if, if you're on track with um, where the Sunday school material is, we, we looked at Elijah this morning, the only other person who didn't experience death, and now this morning we're talking about Enoch. Listen, I would love to take credit for that. Um, I didn't look at the Sunday school lesson until this morning, and I went, hey, we're on Elijah. Hey, Elijah's taken up into the whirlwind this morning. Isn't that cool? And then we're talking about Enoch, who's the only other person who didn't experience death. Now, here in Genesis, we're, we're given just kind of a vague description of this, right? Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there because God took him. And it's, it's kind of vague, but it is different from the description of everyone else because everyone else, we're told, then he died. Right? Then he died. He lived so-and-so, he lived 900 and whatever years, and then he died. But Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because, then he was not there because God took him. 
Now, again, in the New Testament, we see some light shed on this, and that is in the, in the book of Hebrews, especially in Hebrews 11.6, which is the, the listing, this kind of hall of fame of, of faith of, of the heroes of the Old Testament. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now here we see more insight. So we already know that that Enoch proclaimed God's word, God's truth, called people to repentance in the middle of a wicked generation. And then here we're told that Enoch pleased God. Now, at this point, we we might be asking, well, how on earth do I please God? Did did Enoch just live in such a way that that he was so good that God looked at him and went, man. Like, Enoch is just the crown. It doesn't get any better than him. I'm just going to take him. This guy doesn't deserve to die. Well, no, because the Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one, and there's not brackets there that say except for Enoch. And by the way, there aren't brackets there that say except for you either, except for me. But the next verse gives us a clue. So so we're told that that Enoch pleased God, and then we get into Hebrews 11.6, and it says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. See, here's what we learn. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. It's not good works. It's not how many Bible verses you memorized, how how full your Awana vest is, right? I'm aging myself there, right? (laughs) How shiny your, your royal ambassador vest was as a kid. I'm really aging myself. Not how much money you give in the offering plate. See, one of the things that we'll see over and over and over again in the Old and the New Testaments is that people are often described by their faith. We'll see that with Noah. We'll see it with Abraham. We see it with David, whom we're told was a man after God's own heart, even though he committed adultery and then tried to cover it up by committing murder. Now, some of these folks had lives that were train wrecks, right? And we're going to look at several of them in Genesis. But, but despite their, their very human and, and their often quite serious flaws, they had faith in God. So here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, that sometimes what we were taught in Sunday school is that these people in the Bible just had like these superhuman levels of obedience to God, superhuman levels of, of faith and trust in God. And, and yet the problem is that's not really how the Bible says it because the Bible's not afraid of exposing flaws in our heroes of the faith, I think, to show us that there's really no hero other than God. God is the hero. And this is what we see, that God is not pleased by our attempts at living better than your neighbor who doesn't go to church on Sunday morning. Now, gathering with the local church is is good and right, and we should be committed to it. But if you think you score more points because you're here rather than watching the Cowboys game that started at 11 o'clock, I got news for you. God's not impressed. He's pleased 
that we put our faith in him. Now, should our faith cause us to live differently? Well, yes. So we gather here this morning as a declaration that we are the people who have placed our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. That that we believe that he's in control of the world. We believe that he not only created it, but that he sustains it. And that, that he holds this world in his right hand. That our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And that we are part of the body of Christ known as the church. That's what we declare when we gather here. We say, because I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus, I believe he's made me part of a community of believers. Because I'm a part of a community of believers, I want to gather with those saints to worship God and to to open up his word together, to cry out to him in prayer. But, But my fear is that we'll miss out on this adventure of living by faith for a counterfeit religious going through the motions. So one of the ways this has been described is, is it's been called um, moralistic therapeutic deism. Now those are, those are big like sociological terms. Let me, let me just walk you through. According to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge on earth, right? <laughs> this, is, this is how they summarize um, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. There are, there are five kind of principles that are, that are laid out here. And, well, we'll talk in a second. Let's listen to these. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. Now, in in other words, this is saying I feel better about myself and God feels better about me because of how good I am. Now, some of this sounds like Christianity, right? God, God exists who created and ordered the world. Yes, and he watches over the world. Yes, we, we would affirm that. But we, we get into this where God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Right? We were all high schoolers once. Oh, Lord, I did not study for this test. <laughs> I need you to help me supernaturally recall the stuff I did not study so that somehow I do not flunk this test and mom and dad don't kill me. Amen. But God didn't just create the world and, and then stand back and watch it. The Bible tells us he's actively involved in sustaining it. God, God does not want us just to be good and nice and fair He wants us to be holy as he is holy. God God does not, like, the whole goal of Christianity is not that you just be a good neighbor. Now, hopefully it causes you to be a better neighbor. But, But the whole point of Christianity is that God came 
God sent his only son, Jesus, to the earth to save us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we might look more and more like Jesus. Moral therapeutic deism says God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God's needed to resolve a problem. And the gospel says that without the active involvement of God through the incarnation of Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're sunk. The world around us would, would look and say, well, good people, if there's a heaven, good people go there when they die. Even if that was true, the Bible says you're not good. But the Bible also says that, no, it's not good people who go to heaven. Saved people spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. And here's the danger, okay, that, that like other counterfeits, uh, living a life of religious morality may look a lot like a life that has been saved, but it might be fake. We contrast that with what we're told about Enoch. We're not told about the good deeds he did. We're not talked about, we don't, we don't see how many widows he helped walk across the street. We're not told how much money he put in the offering plate. The description of Enoch is simply that he walked with God. He was saved because of his faith. So my simple question to us today is this. Have you trusted in the God that Enoch walked with his entire life? Have, have you placed your faith in the God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you couldn't live and that paid the penalty for the sin that you and I owed? Are you living your life by faith in God, or are you trying with all your might to be good, believing that God's happy when you're good, believing that, it, that maybe even at some level your goodness is what makes you valuable to God? Because the gospel will have none of that. Coming to faith in Christ is, is a declaration, listen, I am not good. I know I'm not good. I am hopeless, and I'm helpless, and I need a Savior. M my fear as a pastor is that I'll spend my ministry preaching the gospel, preaching good news, to people who think they're saved and don't need the good news. Or to people who are saved, who, who really have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, but who think the gospel is what saved them. And now from this point on, it's just us like white knuckling it and holding on saying, I just got to resist the devil. Gotta, I, I just, I just got just to hang on and white knuckle myself through this Christian life. That's, that's not the way that God intends this. God, God intends us to walk by faith, trusting that he's in control. Yes, working to put sin to death, but believing that as we follow him, we're being shaped and molded into the image of Christ. 
and realizing that we are saved by faith, but we're shaped and molded into the image of God by faith. And one day, hallelujah, when, when this world is over, when, when either our lives on, on this earth are ended, when death comes, because the, the odds of you escaping death aren't very good, when, when either death comes or Jesus returns, that faith will be made complete and will be in the presence of Almighty God forever. Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. Have you placed your faith and trust in that God? Have you trusted him? But you're trying so hard to live a good life that you're missing out on walking with him. As we close, as, as always, the altar's open. So you come down and spend some time in seeking the Father's face. Maybe, maybe just declaring all over again, I need, to, I need to walk with God day in and day out. If I can pray with you, I'd love to do that. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together and to open up your word and to look at a simple description of Enoch that we're just told he w walked with God. He walked with you. God, when all is said and done, may that be said of us as well. He walked with God. She walked with God. That our lives would be marked. It would be identifiable. as people who knew you and who made you known. Will you expose to us this morning our attempts to live good, religious, moral lives apart from the power of the Holy Spirit living in us? Will you expose the ways that we try to mask sins and struggles for, for fear that we have to put on a a good show and a good front. And remind us that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And that where there's sin in our lives, there's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. It's available through Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Walk with us and help us to walk with you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.